And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Here at Refuge, we teach through God's Word, verse by verse. And we have been going through the Gospels in chronological order. And I I think it's been really cool. It's the first time I've ever done this, just go through the Gospels in chronological order. It's pretty cool to see how the Gospels harmonize with each other. And so it's been a great time as we go through the life and ministry of Jesus. So last week, Pastor Curtis shared, and we were in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 10, and we looked at verses 16 through 42. And if you remember, Jesus, he just sent his disciples out. And he told his disciples, I'm sending you out like sheep going out amongst wolves. And Jesus was saying, there's going to be hardships and trials as you go out to share the good news. And so Jesus, he showed his disciples what it means to serve him. And we talked about the work of God, though it may seem insignificant at times, the Lord sees it, right? And any work that we do for the Lord is something that we can lay down before him one day in eternity. But lastly, we talked about whenever we serve the Lord, there is a cost associated with it. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as well. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 14. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. And Chinese and Shan and and, uh, Thai. So please grab one. And we also have sermon transcripts back there. If English is not your first language, I admit I am a fast talker and I apologize. But please grab one of those so you can follow along, and this way you're not completely lost, but we're, we're glad you're here. So Matthew chapter 14, we're going to be looking today at verses 1 through 21. And we're going to talk today about two stories, and the first story is starting with John the Baptist. And if you remember, this was months ago at this point, the last time we saw John was in chapter 11, and John was imprisoned by King Herod. And he was in prison because he called out Herod's sin. In this public calling out of Herod's sin, it cost him his freedom and he was thrown into prison. And the last time we saw John, he was a little worn out, if you remember. He was sitting in his prison and he thought, is Jesus really the one who we said he was? Is he really the one that he claims to be? And so John, he sent his disciples out and he asked Jesus, are you really the coming one or do we look for someone else? And Jesus, he reassured John that he was who he said he was. So that was the last time we saw John. But we're going to pick it up today in this chapter. So if you're following along, Matthew chapter 14, let's look at verses 1 through 2. About that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. So understand, first thing off the bat, verses 1 and 2 of this chapter... Tells, uh, tells us after the death of John the Baptist. And so in the next nine or ten verses, Matthew's going to recap how John the Baptist actually died. But at this point where we pick it up in this chapter, John the Baptist had been killed. But before we get into that, I want you to notice the first thing in verse 1. It said, at that time, Herod heard the report about Jesus. I find this significant because I asked the question, how did Herod hear about Jesus? People were sharing about what Jesus was doing. They were going out and they were sharing about the wonders that Jesus had been doing. And just like whenever I read this in Scripture, the Holy Spirit just convicts my heart and asks, are you going out and sharing the great things that Jesus has done for you? And we were talking this past week about sharing our testimony and how the power 
of our testimony. It's such a powerful tool to share the gospel. Are we going out and sharing what Jesus has done for our lives and how he has transformed us? Herod, he heard about Jesus because people were going out and sharing about him. What about you? Are you sharing about Jesus? Notice in verse 2, I think this is interesting. Herod says, this is John the Baptist. What a weird conclusion to come to from Herod. He knew Jesus was alive at the time that John was alive. But here we see Herod's like, oh, that, that must be John. I just killed him, but it must be him reincarnated. It's a very strange conclusion to come to. Herod was quite honestly confused about who Jesus truly was. And in the same sense today, many people are confused about who Jesus truly is. Because many people go out and they misrepresent Jesus. They share about a Jesus that is not according to Scripture. And so just like Herod, a lot of people have a false idea of who Jesus truly is. So let me ask you, how are you sharing Jesus and how are you representing Him? When you go into the supermarket or you go to any store and you see someone, can they look at your life and and see Jesus in the way that you live? Or are you representing Jesus in a poor manner? It's just something to think about. But there's many people that want to go out and share truth without being in the truth themselves. And so once again, we must be in the Word of God daily if we're to share who Jesus truly is. Well, let's look at verses 3 through 4, and we'll start to get in the story of what happened leading up to John's death. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Okay, so we see three names in verse 3. We see Herod, we see Herodias, and we see a guy named Philip. And Philip, you don't hear too much about him in Scripture. So this Herod, his name was Herod Antipas. And Herod was one of the sons of Herod the Great. And Herodias was the wife of Philip, who was also a son of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was the Herod who reigned during the birth of Jesus. He was the one who wanted all of the two-year-old males to be killed because he didn't like the threat of a king coming to usurp his throne. But Philip was one of his sons. And Philip, he also was a governor just like Herod Antipas. And he was reigning in the region east of the Sea of Galilee. But Herod Antipas, he he looked at Philip's wife, Herodias, and he said, you know what, you're going to be with me. They committed adultery and it was a very public display of sin. And so John came along and he called out sin. He stood up for the biblical truths of Scripture and he called out what was sinful. And this didn't go without consequence. John paid a price for doing this. He paid a heavy price for calling out sin and it resulted with him being seized and thrown into prison where he was treated harshly and you can imagine the prison system here. It must have been dark, cold, dirty. I'm sure John was malnourished and mistreated, but this was the cost for John standing up for the truth. And this parallels really nicely with last week's message, right? Because Jesus said last week, he said, when I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves, it's, you're going to have hardships when you go out and share the truth. And John, he encountered the hardship. It cost him his freedom. But he was willing to pay the cost. And so I ask you, are you willing to pay the cost of standing up for biblical truths in a world that is devoid of biblical truths? In a society that is evil and calling people to sin, are you going to stand up for the truth of Scripture? And we pointed this challenge Friday night with the youth as they're going up into a new grade, into new schools and new seasons. Youth, stand up for the truth of Scripture no matter what the consequence may be. 
because we live in a world that wants to destroy the truths of Scripture. And here we don't teach a watered-down, feel-good, sunshine gospel where if you become a Christian, everything is good, you're never going to have hardships, you're going to have a big house and a nice car. We don't teach that because it's not truth. You're going to have hardships. And when you go out with this powerful Word of God, you're going to face consequences for sharing it. And this is what happened with John. But we need to stand up for the truths of Scripture. But many Christians, they like to treat God's Word like a cafeteria line, right? They like to pick and choose what they want. They like to share the good parts of it, but they don't want to share the whole counsel of God. We need to stand up for the truth of Scripture. Notice lastly, and then we'll move on, that Herod, he, he had this adultery, but it was very public. He publicized this sin. He was proud of it. And the world is doing the same thing today, trying to publicize sin and make sin a pleasure and trying to encourage especially the young people to take part in it. It's a battle that we're in. We need to stand up for the truth of Scripture because Satan doesn't want anything of God's Word to stand and to last in this life. Let's look at verse 5. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So we see that Herod, he wanted to kill John. Why did Herod want to kill John? He wanted to kill him because he didn't appreciate being told he needed to repent. And Curtis shared this last week in last week's verses, but I'll share it again. It's the same way today. No one wants to be told that they're in sin and that they need to repent. No one wants to be told that their way is not going to work and that they need to change. People don't want to hear this today. And Jesus said in last week's verses, he said, hey, I came to bring a sword, not peace. And what Jesus meant was the message that I'm giving you to go out to share, it's going to be offensive to some people. But no matter how offensive it is, we can't shy back from sharing it. And I understand many times we do. And we do it out of fear, right? Because we go out and share and we want to tell people all about the love of God and the greatness of God. And we should. But we don't want to share about the sin problem of the heart. We don't want to share the fact that God's holy. And that sin, it will be paid for if you don't repent and turn to Jesus. See, the message that John shared with Herod, it wasn't wasn't a pleasant one. He called him out in his sin. But John did it out of love for Herod. He did it because he was trying to minister to him. And if we truly love the people in this city and truly love the people that God places in front of us, we'll share with them the whole counsel of God, that they do need to repent of their sin. But the good news is there is a Savior. And his name is Jesus. But the truth of Scripture, it will offend some. We must be cautious that it doesn't offend us. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. This needs to be our heart, just like Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to share the truth of Scripture. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. God didn't call us here to be undercover Christians. He called us to be Christians who go out boldly to share the truth of Scripture. Now also I want you to notice in verse 5, it says that Herod feared the multitude. Herod, he wasn't a good guy. He didn't end up coming to repentance. Historically, Herod was said to have killed himself with Herodias. Later, that's not biblical, that's historical. But we see a, a, a trait that is given to Herod here, and it's not a pleasant one. We're told in verse 5 that he was fearful of man. He feared man. This is who Herod was. He was a man pleaser and he feared man. Do you fear man today? Are you fearful of what man is going to say to you? Are you fearful of the rejection you may face? Are you fearing man today? Proverbs chapter 29 verse 25 says this. 
The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And this snare or this trap, it's a trap because it replaces the fear of God in our hearts with a fear of man. And when we fear man and when we fear what man's going to say about us or what man is going to do to us, it keeps us from doing the will of God. And it keeps us from doing the will of God because that fear of God in our heart has now been replaced with the fear of man. And we see examples of this in Scripture. You think of Jonah by example. Jonah, he was sent to Nineveh. He didn't want to go. Was it because he was lazy? No. He didn't want to go because he knew what type of people were there. And these people of Nineveh, they did some pretty gruesome things. I wouldn't want to go there either. But Jonah, he feared. He didn't want to go. And so what happened? He ran the opposite direction. The fear of man in his heart kept him from doing what God called him to do. And we see this in Scripture and we see it today and it happens to each one of us, doesn't it? We fear what man's going to say about us. We fear the rejection we may face. We fear, what if I lose, what if I lose what I, what I love? Maybe you're doing the same thing today and you're fearing man. It's preventing you from doing God's will. And I just want to encourage and challenge you. We're called to share Jesus no matter the cost. See, John knew the cost and he was willing to pay it. Are we willing to pay it? Let's look at verses 6 through 9. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So this is a very interesting story. It's not a pleasant one. The daughter of Herodias was probably more than likely a teenager here. And she was influenced by her mother to have John the Baptist killed. This really intrigues me. Because when Herod promised this this young girl something, she could have asked for half of the kingdom. Not like Herod had much of a kingdom to offer. He was under the Roman jurisdiction. But what he did have, this young girl could have taken. She could have asked for anything. But what happened? She was prompted by her mother to do evil. And I'm not saying that Herodias' daughter was some innocent person. But what I am saying is she was prompted. She was influenced to do evil. And this world is trying to do the same exact thing, especially to young people within the school systems and within everything, right? They want to influence people to do evil. This is what the world wants. This is what Satan wants. He's been doing it all throughout time, trying to put evil influences out there so that people sin and do evil. And this is why, again, society, we're not, we're not Christians of culture. We're Christians of the Word of God. Because if we're to adapt to a culture and a society, we will have to compromise. We're called to be Christians of the Bible. And this is why we're called to guard ourselves with the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And this is what we need to be doing. Especially as society is trying to influence us to go against the truth of Scripture and to sin against God. Now, I find verse 9 very interesting. Verse 9 said, And the king was sorry. Wait a minute. Didn't verse 5 just tell us that Herod wanted to kill John? Now verse 9 is telling us that he was sorry to hear that John was requested to be killed. Is the Bible contradicting itself? No, and this is one of the beautiful things of the harmony of Scripture. Right? What one gospel doesn't include, another gospel does. And they complement each other nicely. So in Mark's gospel, in Mark chapter 6 verse 20, it tells us this. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was just and holy man. And he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. 
We don't really get that information here in Matthew's Gospel. But it turns out that Herod did want to kill John. John was arrested. He started listening to John. And he started to appreciate what he heard. He started to hear John gladly. And unfortunately, Herod, he doesn't end up repenting. At least we're not told so in Scripture. But what the, we can see the power of a witness, of what witnessing can do. Herod's heart started to change. He went from wanting to kill John, and now he was hearing him gladly. And now he was sorry to hear that John was requested to be killed. And I want to draw your attention to the fact that John was faithful to minister to Herod even in the middle of being imprisoned. That's a, that's a servant heart right there. That's a heart that truly loves Jesus to say, you know what, no matter what my circumstances are, I'm still going to share. I'm not going to be defined by my circumstances. I'm not going to sway from my calling because God allowed this to happen. We see the same thing with the Apostle Paul. While Paul was in prison, never once do you hear him complain about his imprisonment. Never once do you hear him complain about his circumstances. Instead, he said, you know what? God used these circumstances so that I could share with more people. That was Paul's heart. That was John's heart. And I could get convicted reading about this and reading about the early church because they shared Jesus regardless of the consequence. They were willing to pay whatever cost, even their life. And the Holy Spirit just asked me this, are you willing to give up everything that you have, even your life, to share the truth? Are you ready to pay the price? And what excuses am I coming up with to not go out and share Jesus? We've changed a lot from the early church, haven't we? Because somehow, we let serving Jesus become a part of our lives instead of being the reason for our lives. And that's really the difference. You look at the early church, the reason they lived was to share Jesus. There wasn't a second reason. That was it. They said, we're going to share Jesus. And it doesn't matter what happens to me. But somehow, serving Jesus has become a part of our lives now. Yeah, I'll get to that in the week. I'll do it when it's convenient. I'll do it when I have time. I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by John's heart to share regardless of his circumstances. But we see in verse 9 that because Herod was a, a, a man pleaser and because he feared man, he gave the order and John was beheaded and he was killed. So let's look at verses 10 through 12. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. This is not a pleasant story and it certainly doesn't have a pleasant ending either. And, uh, you know, they're in a banquet. It's Herod's birthday. They're eating and drinking and having a good time. And, you know, Herodias is like, I want his head on a platter and I want it brought to me in front of everyone while we're eating. It it must have been a gruesome sight (laughs) And, and, and not very a pleasant sight either. But this is what happened to John. He did what God called him to do, and it cost him his life. And this is a, a part of Scripture that people tend to ignore. They, they tend to ignore it because they don't want to listen to it. They don't want to believe that it's true, but it is. Sometimes serving Jesus doesn't result in sunshine and rainbows. Sometimes it results in hardships and trials and in persecution and maybe even death. One of my favorite portions of Scripture is Hebrews 11. And I love it because it tells about these great men and women of faith all these amazing things that they did and what God did through them and and the great promises that they received. But at the end, the author writes, but for some, it didn't happen like that. Some were imprisoned. Some were tortured. Some were killed. Some didn't see what they had hoped to see. 
But they're mentioned in this chapter of faith because they were willing to serve Jesus regardless of that. And you might be in here today and you might not be a Christian and you might be thinking to yourself, this doesn't sound so good. This doesn't sound like people crank it up to be. If I'm going to suffer as a Christian, I shouldn't become a Christian. Is it really worth it? Is becoming a Christian really worth it? Will I lose something? And for some of you in cultures like this in this country, sometimes it is very risky to become a Christian, isn't it? Because you could you know, have the risk of your own family even denying you. And you may ask the question, is it really worth it? Why should I become a Christian after you share about all these things? Is the risk worth the reward? And the answer is yes. Why? Because through faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. And you can live your whole life, everything can go well, but if you don't have peace with God, you're going to have that emptiness in your heart. And it's going to live with you for the rest of your life. And you're going to spend your life trying to fill that emptiness, and it's never going to happen. So why should you become a Christian? Because we have peace with God. We have hope. We have joy. Our sins are atoned for. No pain or sacrifice can take away the peace that Jesus will bring to your heart. And if you're in here today and you're like, I have that emptiness in my heart. I know what you're talking about. I've had it for many years. And only when I gave my life to Jesus Christ was that emptiness ever filled. And now, because of the peace that I have in Jesus, I'm willing to die. It doesn't matter because I know my last breath on this earth is my first breath in eternity. So they can take your body from you, but they can never take away the peace that you have with God. And that's worth everything. So verse 12, it tells us that John's disciples came. They took away the body of John. They buried it. And they went and told Jesus about it. So let's see how Jesus responds. And we'll look at our second story today in verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. So it says Jesus had departed. Departed from where? The last time we saw Jesus, he was going from the cities and villages around Capernaum. And Matthew chapter 9 told us that Jesus, he went about all the different cities and villages within this area. So Jesus is leaving the region of Capernaum. And Jesus, it said, to, he went to a deserted place. Now, a lot of people interpret this, this passage that Jesus left because of the possible potential danger of Herod coming after him. And that's why he left because it wasn't his time. I, I tend to disagree with that. I don't agree with that because if you actually look at Herod's attitude toward Jesus when Jesus is on trial, Herod, he wanted to see Jesus. He didn't want him to put him to death. He wanted to see Jesus do miracles. I, I tend to believe that Jesus, he departed for this um, deserted place because he was grieving. He was grieving the death of John. Right? He wasn't just unfazed. I know he's fully God, but he had feelings and emotions just like us. And I'm sure Jesus was very grieved to hear about the death of John. But regardless, whatever interpretation may be true, Jesus, he departed from there and he went to a deserted place. But verse 13 tells us that when the multitudes, thousands of people heard it, they followed Jesus. So let's see how Jesus responds in verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Notice the heart of Jesus here. He wasn't angry that these people followed him. He wasn't like, I've been with you guys all week. I just want to grieve. Leave me alone. That's not what he said. He looked at them and he was moved with compassion for them. Jesus, he could have easily turned away from this multitude. He could have easily sent them away. 
so as not to be inconvenienced by them. However, Jesus, he humbled himself to reach out to others. And once again, I got convicted when I read this. What excuses am I making to not go out and reach the people God has placed in front of me? Now, Jesus had quite the excuse, right? My friend and relative John, he just was killed. I need time to greet. No. He humbled himself and he went because he had compassion on the people. What excuses am I making to not go out and reach the people God has placed in front of me? Jesus was interested in investing in the lives of these people. And for us in ministry, we've been invited in to come alongside the lives of people and to pour into them. And there's really no greater privilege and honor than that. To come alongside these people and minister to them. And to share the good news of salvation for them. But so many times in ministry, we like to prioritize our schedule above reaching people. We like to do what we need to do, but we neglect people in doing so. And God convicted me hard on this over the past few weeks. I'm an organized person. I like when things go according to schedule. If someone calls me up to have a meeting and I don't have it in the schedule, my instinct is to say, no, call me next week. Right? I want everything to go the way I want it to go. But you know what? That's not the heart of Jesus. Ministry was very spontaneous for Jesus. And ministry in the past three years I've been in Asia has been spontaneous. You'd think I'd be used to it by now, but I'm not. And it's still hard for me. But Jesus has been just putting on my heart, stop putting your schedule above people. I called you to minister to people. Right? God's command. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor. Love people. This is what he called us to do. My heart should be to love Jesus and love his people and have compassion. And God has been showing me this, that if I don't take the opportunities that God is giving me to invest in the lives of people... I'll very well lose that opportunity because God doesn't need me. His work's going to get accomplished with or without me. He's going to do his work. He doesn't need to use me to do it. He wants to use me. But if I neglect the opportunities he's giving me, they'll still accomplish the work. They'll just use someone else. I don't want to miss the opportunities God is placing in front of me. Let's look at verse 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. So this verse shows us quite the contradicting heart between Jesus and the disciples. And, I, you know, I can't bash the disciples, because if I was here, I probably would have said the same thing. But Jesus was ministering to these people all day, healing their sick. The disciples roll out. It's evening now, and they're like, Jesus, send these people away. Just send them away. Let them go get themselves food. Which heart sounds like you today? The heart of Jesus or the heart of his disciples? Is your heart a heart that says, yes, I want to minister to whoever God places in front of me? Is your heart a heart of compassion? Or is your heart more like the disciples that are just kind of fed up and they're just like, send them away. Let them deal with it. And many times we do this, don't we? We get so focused on ministry that we stop ministering. And you might say, Christian, that's an oxymoron. What do you mean by that? Well, we want to do the work of God, but we want to neglect the people. There are people in this city who need Jesus. And you hear it a lot here. You hear a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm stationed from here, but I minister to people elsewhere. Praise God. Are you ministering to the people here, though? Because whether you're, you're based here, it doesn't change the fact that you are here. God has placed you here, and people need Jesus here. If you come out on Wednesday to Top A Gate, every single person that we encounter, they're going through something. They're going through a hardship. They're going through a lot. They need Jesus. They need hope. 
The people here need Jesus. Are we getting so caught up in doing God's work, quote-unquote, that we forget to do God's actual work of ministering to people? So who is it that God is putting in your life for you to minister to? And maybe that person is someone you've been ignoring the texts because they keep texting you. You've missed their phone calls. You know what kind of personality they're like. You don't want to deal with them. You're like, God, send someone else to minister to them. Oh, God will. God will. He will send someone else to minister to them, but you have the opportunity to. Who is it that God's putting in your life? Let's look at verses 16 through 19. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. I I love this passage, because I love the disciples. They're like, send these people away. They need to go eat. And Jesus is like, okay, great. You give them something to eat. And once again, if I was the disciples, I don't even know what I would have thought if Jesus told me to do this, because Jesus is giving an impossible task to the disciples. Verse 21, which we haven't read yet, it tells us that 5,000 men were there. So if you count women and children, it could be fifteen to 20,000 people total. And Jesus tells the disciples, go feed them. That's impossible. Jesus is telling the disciples to do an impossible task. But I want you to notice that the disciples, they came to Jesus with what they had. They brought it to Jesus, and Jesus used it. What a great example for us. What a great picture for us. None of us are qualified to do the work of God. None of us are qualified to teach and and to go out and share Jesus. None of us are. But through the Holy Spirit, all of us can. When we go to Jesus with what we have, with a heart fully surrendered to Him, He can use us to do anything. So Jesus was going to do this seemingly impossible miracle, and He was going to do it with what the disciples brought to Him. And this just shows the power of Jesus. Jesus can do anything with a heart that is fully and truly surrendered to Him. And though the disciples had nearly nothing, Jesus took what they had and He multiplied it, quite literally in this case. And Jesus, again, He's able to do anything with you and me. Why? Because it's not us who's doing it, it's Jesus who's doing it. So I think we all should be encouraged by this. Look who God chose to use. He used untrained, uneducated people. Goofballs, if you look at them. Right? the disciples, they did dumb things and they said dumb things. Jesus still used them. They forsook them, they fled, they betrayed them, they denied them. He still used them. It's not about our qualifications. It's about a heart that surrendered to Jesus. So are you going to Jesus with what you have? Are you going and saying, Jesus, here I am, please use me. And if that's your heart, Jesus will use you. But too many times we focus on our resources instead of focusing on the power of God. And once again, this kind of shows us the distinction between the early church and and the church today, right? The early church, they didn't have anything. Right? They just went out and they did whatever Jesus called them to do. They didn't have anything. They depended on the power of God. They depended on the will of God and they were willing to pay whatever it cost them to do so. If there was an unreached place, right, in the early church, they went to it. They weren't like, oh, this might be a little too dangerous. No, they went. They didn't stop. They went. Paul was stoned in the city of Lystra. They dragged him out, thought he was dead. He gets back up, and what does he do? He goes back into the city. The disciples in Acts, 
right? That the high priests call him aside and they say, hey, don't preach in this name of Jesus again. Don't do it again or you'll be in prison or we might just kill you. And they're like, okay, great. They go out and they do it. And then they call him back and they're like, what did we tell you? And they said, we know what you told us, but we're going to obey God. We're going to depend on the power of God to do the work of God. And I'm not saying resources are bad. Resources are great. Praise God for what he's given us to use. But our focus must first and foremost be on the power of God and his word. Last thing to note in verse 19, Jesus, he did this amazing work in multiplying the bread and fish. But look what he did next. He used the disciples to distribute it. So Jesus did the work. He did the miracle. He did this amazing act, but he used the disciples to distribute it. And once again, this is a picture of the work of God. Jesus is the one who does the work, and we get to go out and share what he has done. It's amazing. It's an amazing picture. And though the disciples were reluctant, and though the disciples, just in a couple verses earlier, said, send these people away, Jesus still used them. And that really encouraged me, because I know personally I can come to God with an attitude many times in ministry. And you know what? God has grace. Praise the Lord for his grace. He invites us to go out and share. Let's look at verses 20 through 21, our last two verses for today. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So verse 20 tells us that not only did Jesus multiply enough food for everyone to eat, but everyone ate and were filled. And you got to imagine these people came to Jesus to a deserted place on foot. They didn't drive there. They didn't have cars. They didn't take a plane. They didn't take a boat. They walked there on foot. So you got to imagine these guys had quite the appetite. I think that's safe to assume. Right? I know after this, I'm going to eat more tacos than I could count. We have an appetite, don't we? So Jesus didn't just give enough food for everyone to eat. He gave everyone enough to eat and be filled. That's significant. That's amazing. And not only that, but there was leftover. And notice, in, in other gospel accounts, Jesus, he tells the disciples to take what remains. He's, he didn't say, go out and waste it. He said, go out and gather up what remains, and he's going to still use it. Nothing is done in vain for the work of God. And this is an amazing picture. But once again, Jesus is able to do this miracle without the resources of man. He did it in an unseen, miraculous way. And he used the reluctant disciples to do this amazing work as well. And once again, this should encourage each one of us. Something else that's significant about this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's mentioned in all four gospel accounts. Why do you think God wanted to remind us of this miracle in all four gospels? Why do you think the Holy Spirit felt it necessary to include it in each gospel? I believe it's to remind us of the great power of Jesus and the power of His working and His grace in inviting us in to show us that this is our God who can do anything, who can take nothing and use it for His kingdom. For the disciples in this passage, they had to sacrifice something a little less than John. They had to sacrifice their time. They were inconvenienced by the multitude. They were inconvenienced by all these people coming to them. They would have preferred Jesus to just send them home. So maybe this is what God is asking you. Maybe this is what is costing you. It's your time. You need to give up your time and what you're comfortable with. And again, we've shared this before. It's God is not calling each one of us to give our lives. He's not calling us to go out and die a martyr's death. Maybe he is for some of us. I, I say that. But God is requiring something of us. And whenever we do the work of God, there's a cost associated with it. 
So I'll conclude with this and then we'll pray and continue our worship. We looked at two stories today. The first story was in verses 1 through 12. And it was the story of John the Baptist and how he was killed. And he was killed in a very unpleasant and gruesome way. And John, he ended up here because he stood up for what was true. He stood upon the biblical truths of Scripture and he called out sin. And yet John was still willing to pay the cost. It cost him his freedom and then eventually cost him his life. But John continued to minister. And then we see in the second story that Jesus, he was grieved by the death of John. He wanted to go have some alone time, but people followed him and Jesus responded with a heart of compassion. He didn't send them away. He didn't desert these people. He took his time. He humbled himself and ministered to them. Thousands of them. And for some of us, we need to sacrifice our time and what we're comfortable with to serve God and to minister to the people that God has placed in front of us. And lastly, we saw Jesus perform an amazing miracle. And what a great picture it is that Jesus is able to do anything he calls us to do because it's him who's doing the work. So maybe God has placed a vision or, or on your heart and a calling on your heart and you think, it's never going to happen, I can't do that. You're right, you can't, but Jesus can. And maybe you go about this city and you're like, there's so many unsafe people, this city's never going to change. Well, you're, we're not going to change it, but Jesus can. I know in Myanmar, a lot of my, my family in Myanmar, they say this country is never going to change. Jesus can change it. We can't, but Jesus can. Jesus can do anything. And he showed us his power in this story. Are we focused on the power of God? And lastly, are you willing to pay the cost of serving Jesus? Are you trusting that he's able to do the work he's called you to do? So what is it in your life that you need to give up? For Jesus. And what is it that he's calling you to do? Let's pray and we'll continue our worship. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for calling us to this great work. Lord, this great work of coming alongside the lives of, of people, Lord. We just thank you for your heart for us, God, that you didn't desert us, you didn't abandon us, but you died for us, Lord. And you will and desire for all to be saved. And you had compassion on us when we went astray, Lord, when we were your enemies. Yet you still poured out your love for us. Lord, give us the strength to go out and share this love with others. Give us the strength, Lord, to let go of what we're holding on to, Lord. To let go of the excuses or the comfortabilities or whatever it is, Lord, that we've been holding on to that has been keeping us from doing your will. Lord, take fear of man out of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you just teach us the fear of the Lord. And that you just give us the strength and the faith to be obedient to your commands and to your will. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We just pray, God, that your word would take deep root in our heart. That we would, Lord, not just be hearers of it, but doers of it. That we would go out, Lord, and obey what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.